want to thank uh, Lori. It's Missy literally dropped this on her uh, last night, and uh, she stepped up. So thank you so much, Lori. It's so good to know that there are people here who are qualified and talented to, to step up when uh, we can't be here. So thank you very much. Thank you, worship team. Y'all, if you haven't been on a worship team, you don't know what they put in to preparing for every Sunday. And uh, we, are, we are so grateful for everything that they do. I was at a church uh, back home. It was, a, it was not my church. It was a church near where I grew up. And a good friend of mine went to this church. And this church, it was a good church. There were solid people. Some of my teachers in uh, high school and middle school went there. And uh, th- they were just good people. They loved the Lord. They loved one another. They were committed to doing his work. And this church had a 75 thousand dollar some of you think I'm going to say debt some of you think I'm going to say bill you all have something negative in your mind this church had a $75,000 rainy day fund they had $75,000 in the bank in case of a rainy day now that would be a rainy day spend that but how would you like that anybody who's involved with our finance how much we're, we're blessed here at Shady Grove but but how would you like a $75,000 rainy day fund does that not make you feel good inside all warm and fussy well uh, here's the problem that rainy day came uh, if you know anything about Michigan in the mid to late uh, 2000s, uh, General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, and all of their kind of subsidiary companies uh, either left the country or just tanked like we never expected. And of course, our whole area was built. Everybody in my family worked for, for GM or Buick or, or Ford or one of the companies that supplied them. So uh, it was pretty much, uh, this is the best thing about Michigan, I can just show you, pretty much from here down to on on Michigan just went into economic turmoil. It was a rainy day. There weren't a lot of jobs. Everything suffered. And of course, when everything suffers, even the churches were suffering financially. Uh, But the problem was this church that had this rainy day fund, well, they, they began to feel really secure because that money was in the bank. And so when that rainy day came, and I promise you this is Uh, as as true a story as I can remember, uh, they didn't want to start drawing out of that fund. They they wanted that fund, that fund gave them such a sense of security that that church lost two pastors, youth pastor and the senior pastor, and, and if I remember correctly, somewhere around half of their membership, but they didn't touch that rainy day fund makes you really question, what is the church, right? Maybe, maybe the church is just that bank account because that church, that church still had the rainy day fund, but the building was struggling. They couldn't have a lot of people to help keep everything up. And, of course, people just started leaving because they went two years in a search for a new lead pastor who had left partially because of the financial issues that come uh, or all the stressful issues that come with the finances in a church. We want to follow Jesus so bad. And I think, I think if you're a believer, you're here today, I, I, with all my heart, I believe that you have a desire to follow Jesus with your whole life. But there are so many things in life that pull 
and tug at our heartstrings, at our emotions, at our sense of security, at our intellect, that sometimes it can be difficult to follow Jesus completely. There are so many things in life that promise us security, safety, friendship, success, happiness, but draw us away from Christ. So how do we follow Christ in this world, and how much does it cost? What does it take? If we're going to be believers in Jesus Christ, what is the cost to us? Today we're going to look at a a passage in Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a a teaching of Jesus that specifically addresses this. And Jesus is going to teach that it costs everything to follow him. And it's free. It costs everything to follow him. You have to give everything, but following him is also free. In fact, Jesus taught that salvation is so costly that only the poor can afford it. If that doesn't make sense to you, turn to Mark chapter 10. We'll go through verses 23 to 31, and we'll hear the words of our Lord. Mark chapter 10, verses 23 to 31. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to him, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Who can be saved then? Looking at him, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. Because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions, and eternal life. In the age to come, I'm sorry, eternal life in the age to come, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. We're going to divide this into two sections. In the first half of this section, Jesus taught that salvation is so costly, so expensive, that only the poor can afford it. Now, I want you to remember when we study the Bible, it's really good to know what's going on around this passage. And if you remember last week, we talked about this man that is called the, the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to, to be saved? How do I become one of your followers? Uh, what's, the, what's the list I got to do? And this man is, is wealthy beyond belief and everybody knew that so Jesus first talked to him about his kind of morality he said you got to do you know honor your father keep some commandments you know do these things he said I've done all of them since my youth he's a good guy he's uh, maybe maybe what we would call uh, just a real good man not a perfect person because nobody's perfect but man he's a good guy but he's also got a lot of money and so people looked at this guy as 
kind of an extra good man. And we, we do this today, too. We don't, we don't maybe talk about it as much, but if you meet somebody who's, who's got a whole lot of, uh, a lot of wealth, a lot of property, a lot of really successful in business, and he gives you the right theological answers, he gives you the, the, the right you know, uh, answers to the questions that you have about Jesus, you automatically think, well, this is a super good guy, and God must have just blessed his socks off. And so we look at his wealth as kind of a sign of God's blessing. And that's what they were doing here. That's why, that's why uh, they were having such a hard time when Jesus said how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God because it was very common in that day to view somebody's money, somebody's wealth, as kind of a sign that God had blessed them. Well, they must be following God's commandments because the Old Testament does tell us that God blesses those who follow him and, and, and that he even financially and monetarily blesses people who are faithful to him. There are scriptures like that in the Old Testament. And they took those and they said, okay, this rich young man, man, he is, he is rich beyond our wildest uh, dreams, so God must have blessed him for his faithfulness, and he even was able to answer the questions correctly. But the, if you remember in that story, Jesus then uh, saw past his answers, and he saw that his wealth was not, in fact, a blessing, but it was something that was pulling him away from God. So he said, uh, you have one thing left, get, sell everything you have, go give to the poor, and then come follow me. And he, uh, the Bible says it, he went away uh, sad. My translation says dismayed because this man's wealth couldn't save him. In fact, it was the one thing that was keeping him from God. So that's where we start when Jesus goes into this conversation. He says, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, a commentator that I read named Warren Wearsby is a Bible teacher and uh, written so many books. He, he had just such a good quote on this. He says, let me read it so I get it right. So money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. Money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. And this man's money had stopped being his servant and had, start, uh, had started being his master. It controlled him, and it led him away from the one master he needed to follow, Jesus. So his disciples are just shocked. They say, listen, if these people who we've always considered as blessed by God can't be saved, if it's, if it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, then how do we stand a chance? If a, if a rich man can't afford it, how does a poor person afford it? And that's when uh, Jesus gives this kind of uh, interesting and, and humorous, you've heard it a thousand times, I'm sure, response. He, first, he calls the disciples children. He says, you're not, you're not understanding what I'm saying. He says, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I have a hard time putting a piece of thread through an eye of a needle. So a camel is obviously something Jesus is saying is impossible, right? He's not even saying it's hard. He's not even saying it's difficult now. He's saying, listen, you can't do it. If you have wealth, if you have money, it is physically impossible. And so the disciples are just kind of at their wit's end. Okay, now we really aren't on board Jesus. This is why he called them children as he addressed them. We really don't get it. If it's impossible for even the people that God has clearly blessed to be saved, what do we do? 
How can anyone be saved? And that's when, of course, Jesus gives the answer. With man, it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. The disciples want a principle. They want a really clear, reasoned, logical understanding of why things work the way they do. They want to look at the world and say, rich guy goes to church, God has blessed him, must be good. Poor guy, hard, hard times, maybe down on his luck, homeless person, he's probably gotten what he deserves because God blesses those who are faithful and only bad things happen to people who are unfaithful. Wouldn't you like to live in that world? That's a world that makes sense. That is a world that's really easy to handle. That's a, that's a world that's, you don't, you don't even have to worry about whether or not to give to a homeless person because you already know, oh, they must be a bad person. God hasn't blessed them. That's a real simple world to live in, but you know what? That's not God's world, and in fact, you wouldn't want to live in that world, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So what is the guiding principle that lets Jesus make these statements? What's the guiding principle that, that turns everything upside down in the disciples' understanding? That principle that we're going to talk about, the word isn't in here, but what Jesus is really talking about is what we call grace. Grace is God's guiding principle for how he deals with us. Grace is something that we sing about. It's in, it's in most of our songs, and it very well should be. It's something we, we throw out in our prayers. Something that we, it's a word that we use freely, but I wonder if you really understand what grace is. What it means that God has showed grace to you. Grace is, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the essence of grace is that God gives us what we don't deserve. God gives us what we don't deserve. We think in, in totally different terms. We think, hey, I worked hard for a week. I deserve a paycheck. That's true. I did something good. I should receive honor from my community. That's true. I do bad things, and I get punished. And only the people who do bad things get punished. We think in a world where everybody gets or should get the things that they earn or they deserve. But that is not how God works with us. Grace is when somebody has done you wrong, not only do you, uh, not, only do you not give them what they do deserve, right, but you give them what they don't deserve. So in your life, that might look like somebody on the expressway who gives you that uh, magical uh, signal that tells you how, much they, they, how good they feel about you, and instead of you know, revving up your engine and cutting them off or, or maybe responding in kind, it, it means, you know, I'm going to pass over that sin that you've offended me with, and I'm going to let you in anyway. Uh, grace in your life looks like somebody who uh, steals something from you and instead of chasing them down and doing all the things that you, know, you and I want to do to somebody who rips you off and steals from you, you say, you know what, you, you seem to be having a, a difficult time. Can I, can I help you? Do you need something else? Can I help provide for your needs? Because you're obviously in a difficult spot that you would have to steal from someone. Grace in your life looks like a family member who going off at Thanksgiving 
and, and ripping into you in, in ways that you don't deserve. And instead of you responding in kind, maybe just taking them aside and saying, you're my brother, my sister, my cousin, my aunt, my whatever. I love you. I want to work this out because I want reconciliation. And you know why that's so hard for us? You know why that's so incredibly difficult? One, it's because those people don't deserve it. Because it's not fair. That is unjust. I mean, we don't want to live in a world where the government shows grace, right? You murdered that person, you just go right on ahead. Uh, that is unjust. We, we don't do that. But, but in our personal relationships, that's how we uh, interact with people because that is exactly how God is. God not only doesn't give us what we deserve, but he gives us what we don't deserve. So you better fall on your knees every night and thank God that you don't live in a world where we get what we deserve. Because let me just recite a few scripture verses for you that tell us what we deserve. If you're a human being, and you're like me, you're sinful, okay? You've done things that are not just wrong against somebody else on earth, but they have actually offended a holy God who is in the heavens and, and has no business letting you into his presence, none, uh, especially not giving you eternal life. If you're like me, you're a, sin, a sinful person, and the Bible says, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin, the paycheck that you've earned by your sin, is death. Matthew 5.22, Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother. If, you, if you're like me, you've been angry before. If everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. If you've been on social media for two seconds, uh, this verse probably covers you. You've probably done all of these things. Revelation 21.8 says, But for, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and you're thinking, maybe, Steve, that, uh, that hasn't quite covered me yet, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We don't live in a world where we get what we deserve, and we should thank God for that. The punishment for sin is separation from a holy and perfect and righteous God. That is justice. That is fairness. That is what's right. And that is what all of us deserve. But God operates through grace. So the reason riches can't get you into heaven, the reason you can't buy your ticket to eternal life, the same reason you can't be a good enough person to get into heaven. It's the same reason it doesn't matter how many preachers you know or are related to to get you into heaven. The same reason that it doesn't matter how many times you've gone to church or how much money you put in that offering plate. That will not get you to heaven because it's nothing that we can do that earns heaven. It is simply grace. It is simply grace. God showing us mercy, not giving us the punishment that we deserve. But not only that, sending his son to become one of us, to experience all the temptations you and I go through, all the temptations to sin that you and I experience, but, but not giving in to them, being perfect. 
And for no just reason, dying on a cross, being murdered, finding out later that that murder, that death, that covered your sins. You see, God doesn't just overlook our sin. That wouldn't be just either. God looks at our sin and he says, you've done all of these terrible things. I know more sin of that, that, about your life. I know more things that you've done wrong in your life than you know. But I've paid for each and every one. The blood of my son covers each and every one of those sins. So not only does God over, uh, 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 show us mercy, not, not give us what we deserve, but he gives us his son to pay for our sins, to cover those sins, and simply by trusting in him to have eternal life, not just to live on forever and, and float around in some weird heaven, but to live with God, to experience the same resurrection that Jesus experienced, to, to live on a new earth in his presence without sin forever. Do you deserve that? Do I deserve that? No, 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 no. That is nothing but grace. And I thank God that we live in an unfair world. Because in a fair world where I got what I deserved, I would be separated from him forever. God does the impossible. Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. He turns sinners into saints. He redeems. He gives life. He will raise us all from the dead. You and I will get up out of the dirt one day and remember death like we remember having a, a, a bad cold when we were 13. It'll just be something that is part of our past. It's grace. So if grace is how God saves, why, why is it harder for a wealthy person? Because we really do have to deal with what Jesus says here. Why is it harder for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God, to uh, be saved, to get into heaven? Because trusting in Christ is about completely relying on what Jesus has done. And that means giving up everything. Let's read verses 28 to 31 again. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. Now, something's going on here today. Um, we have a kind of a weird thing happening if you follow politics. Uh, if you just turn on the news, I hope you don't, but if you turn on the news, you, you kind of see in our world today the rich uh, are, are typically they're vilified, right? If you, if you have a certain amount of money, uh, everybody kind of rails against you. If you get into that special tax bracket, you, you suddenly kind of become a, a non-person and everyone's going to kind of go after you and take everything you got. And they use you as kind of a talking point. And I don't know, uh, I don't know y'all's financial situations. I, I don't have that problem. But, but we kind of vilify the rich today. That's not what Jesus is doing here, okay? That's not what Jesus is doing here. In fact, uh, again, we've, we've talked about it already, but the Scriptures does say that uh, very often blessings 
from God do take the form of money and house and lands and all of these things. Uh, riches are not by themselves a bad thing. Money is not in itself a bad thing. But scripture says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You notice he talks immediately about leaving, kind of separating. And he doesn't say separate from well, just the bad things. He doesn't say, you know, no chewing, no, no smoking, no dancing. Uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, listen, if, if you leave your father and mother, and children, and sisters, lands, land at that time was one of the most valuable things you can own, probably still today, uh, and one of the most important things for people to own. Jesus says, listen, following me, it includes detaching yourself from all of those things. Now, is Jesus saying uh, everybody here should cash in everything they've got and, and just go out and, and, and get rid of that money? No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, he's going to, but he's going to say, it, what you're holding on to shows where your heart is, okay? What you can let go of and what you can give shows what you're truly loving. So Jesus isn't asking you to go sell everything and give to the poor and come follow me. But I want you to just do an experiment with me. What if he was? Think about it. Imagine it as real as you can right now. Jesus looking you in the eye. And I don't know what it is for you, but it maybe it, Jesus says, sell your land. Sell your boat. Sell your truck. Sell your clothes. Sell your gun collection. I'm sorry. Um, what is it? Well, at, at what point does it start to hurt a little bit? The thought of being separated from all that stuff. Because, you know, we're all wealthy. If you live in America and you have a roof over your head, you're wealthier than some 95% of the rest of the world. We don't think of ourselves like that, but man, we are blessed. If you don't spend every day just worrying about getting that next meal, where, to, where you're going to get it from and how you're going to get it cooked and get it to your family, you're wealthier than a whole lot of people in this world. We've got stuff. Some of us have more, some of us have less. But it doesn't matter how much money you have, whether you're poor or rich, there's something in us that clings to our stuff clings to our relationships. And Jesus is saying here, what are you willing to give up? What won't you put before God? Does this mean you leave your, your family and your kids? No, I guarantee you that's not what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is saying is that your family and your kids and your stuff is, it, it, is all used for the kingdom of God, because that is the thing that's most important to you. We had a wonderful day yesterday. Had a, a big group of, of men come up here at the church. Got a lot of things done. We're clearing land over here. We're getting things installed inside. And just a, a whole lot of work being done. And, uh, you know, time is one of those things that people don't have a whole lot of. But it means so much to me when people show up. 
And they give their time to further the kingdom of God because they believe in what this church is doing, that we are pushing the gospel forward and that their work is doing something for God. That means so much to me. And while we were here, there was a whole other group of of men that were at somebody's house who's a part of our church just helping them uh, get their yard taken care of because they haven't been able to do that. There are people who are getting the meal ready for you right now. There are folks who are taking food to people who are sick. Giving of our time can be one of the, the things that Jesus doesn't talk about in here, but it can be one of the most valuable things that we give to the Lord. But here's what it all comes down to. God literally gave everything for you. He gave his own son. Jesus willingly, willingly went to the cross to pay for your sins. Now, what is coming between you and Jesus? What is keeping you from serving the Lord? Are, are you holding on to your wealth, your time, your family, your relationships, your popularity, your job, your status? Are you holding those things on and protecting them? I'm not going to bring Jesus up at work. I don't want people to, to think something of me. I don't want Jesus to, to bring up, at, I don't want to bring Jesus up at school. I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, just some Bible thumper. Uh, I, I don't want to talk to that family member about Jesus, even though I'm not sure where they stand because it could get awkward. Listen, if we're putting anything before our relationship with Jesus, we're in the same position as this rich young man. Even good things can tug us away from God. Now, we still experience grace, and God still loves us. Don't lose our salvation over these things, but Jesus doesn't pull any punches here when he says, there are a whole lot of things in your life that you are putting before God. But here's the deal. When you give those things up, you get more than you ever expected. And he says, uh, there's, there's no one who leaves, and he lists all these things, who will not, uh, for my sake and the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields. Jesus is making this promise about your now, your life. And what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what. When we came down here, I was having a real hard time knowing my wife was pregnant and we'd be leaving grandma. And, and her, her folks are somewhere else. But it is true that since we've come down here, we've, we've received, I don't know, 100, but pretty close to 100 other uh, grandmas and aunts and, and, and people who love my daughters and my son just as much as I could ask anyone to. You become part of a family when you, when you follow Christ. You become a part of this real thing called the church. And when things are going difficult in your life, you have a whole family who's here to back you up. There's a whole family who's here to help you. Uh, I was talking about just a second ago, someone who's going through a real hard time in their life. And uh, Brother James didn't have to bring it up, but five seconds later, three deacons said, when can we go? Let's plan. Let's make this happen. In fact, that happened twice this week. Jesus gives you this opportunity to follow him. It costs everything, but, man, you gain so much more on the other side. And I I don't have more time to talk about that, but, but this is the principle. The many who are first will be last, and the last first. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't do it by human logic, human reason. Because following Jesus means sacrificing everything, putting yourself all the way at the end of the list because what God might have you do is going to be hard, it's going to be costly, it's going to be inconvenient, 
But man, the glory on the other side is worth it.